0: What would help you speed up the process from the vendor side?
1: I'm going to be very brutally honest and say as little bullshit as possible. Mm -hmm. There's a tendency, especially in RFPs, to give hundreds and hundreds of pages of text for people to read. And I don't know if the people writing those RFPs realize that no one's reading them, right?
0: Welcome to Audience First a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience. Listen to and talk with your buyers, and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? Welcome to another episode of Audience First. Tal, very special guest I have today, based out of Amsterdam, close by. I'm
1: Sylvain. So I'm Sylvain. So it's almost like Amsterdam, okay. just a little smaller and more desolate.
0: Okay, there you go. Uh, but as usual, I will not do any justice, introducing my guest. So, Tal, why don't you go ahead, tell me who you are, what do you do, and why the hell do you do it?
1: (laughs) So, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, So, my name is uh, Tal Arad, and I'm the global CISO for Carlsberg, uh, as well as the head of global infrastructure. Uh, Carlsberg, for those of you who don't know it, and I'll be very sad if you don't know it, is the third largest beer manufacturer in the world. Uh, Overall, we have 170, I want to say, different brands and about uh, 700 different beers. And all of them are excellent. So please drink a lot of beer. It's healthy. You can drink alcohol-free beers as well.
0: I was very close to bringing in a Carlsberg into the call today, but I am having Coke.
1: didn't you? <laughs>
0: I'm having Coke.
1: Okay. Coke is not bad. It's the same company manufacturing those in Exactly. One, so okay. There you go. Yeah.
0: How How did we meet?
1: Well, we never met actually. I think what happened was that I, I don't remember who referenced that on LinkedIn, your podcast it might have been Alan Alford. And I just happened to hit the podcast the day you did the greatest hits of the CISOs. And I was oh, listening yeah. to that and I was like, this is so good. Like this, is, I, I can see myself saying each and every single thing those guys said. And I said, I just have to. I just have to talk with her because it's such a good podcast. It's the first time I see this kind of podcast when they're really brutally honest. It almost feels like a safe environment to say these kind of things because every time that I feel like putting a rant somewhere, you know, like Twitter or LinkedIn, then I I kind of reconsider and say, you know what? I'm going to be hit by so many people saying, you have no idea what you're talking about. And uh, you're wasting everyone's time, blah, blah, blah. and and, 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 and Go away. I'm saying, you know what? I'm just going to give it up and keep... uh, Keep dealing with the with the nicest ease of uh, sales practices.
0: I I love it. I love that you're you're open to to telling the truth. And I I'm absolutely pleased that you're joining me today on Audience First. Awesome. So what do you do
1: on a day to day basis? You mean
0: yeah, day to day basis. And why?
1: The why is a is a good question. I think what I do on a day to day basis is making sure everything is set to hopefully stop or at least limit any attempt to stop the beer, you know? As, uh, why wise people say, uh, uh, said once the beer must flow? Mm. Um, and also to try to make it as painless as, as possible, uh, not only for the uh, user community, but also for our own IT organization. And now because I also have the second hat of head of infrastructure, I also feel the pain that my security hat is causing to the other side. Um, and Why do I do it? That's a, that's a really good question. I think I'm... Um, a lot of people are saying that you can't really do security without really believing in that because it's, a, it's quite a brutal field. Um, you're going to get hit by never ending problems. You're going to be away 24 seven and most people are not going to like you for that. So you really need to believe that you're doing something good. Um, for the company that you work for, for the organization, for yourself, for your, for your team as well. So I think, uh, I've been doing this for a while and I think it's mostly because I, I like it, right? I feel that I'm doing something that matters and it also keeps me challenged all the time because it's never ending. There's always something new, something evil coming around the corner.
0: Cool. So, Tal, tell me, what do you hate most about the cybersecurity industry?
1: Wow, that's a big question. I think there's quite a long list, but I think my my current number one is probably the gatekeeping that I've been seeing in the last few years, which seems to be getting worse and worse, from a certain generation of security practitioners that seems to think that you need to have 20 years' experience uh, five different certifications and about three advanced degrees before you are allowed to apply for a th- for a you know first tier stock analyst it seems like the it's it kind of became the valhalla of it is that you have to be the most experienced person in everything because you can even imagine working for security that really pisses me off Because Mm. on the one hand, we keep complaining that we have zero people. On the other hand, we make everything possible to actually stop new people from coming into the industry or moving from other parts of IT. So I think that that probably is my current number one. In this.
0: In your opinion, though, what is the happy medium?
1: The happy medium for bringing new people, you mean? Yeah. I think there's a couple of things that we also do in Carlsberg as well. First of all, internships and students. We have, almost on a regular basis, we have various uh, students working in the team and getting real-world experience from working inside the organi- a big organization in parallel to doing their academic studies. And we actually try to keep uh, some of them. I-, I would keep all of them. I don't have enough accounts, unfortunately. But we if we can't keep them, we at least make sure that they have enough practical experience to go on for other big corporates. The other thing that we're doing, we're actually taking people from other parts of IT, Right. Just recently, we we hired someone for my security operations team who came from the IT local IT management, and he's just great, right? Even if he doesn't have the formal security background, he's so experienced in IT that I don't care. You know, he'll just learn and, and get into it as well. I think we need to allow for entry much more entry-level positions and don't assume that people have to know everything. They'll learn on the job. It's absolutely fine to come without any pre- pre- previous knowledge. I mean, there are some positions when they you need to be more senior and understand what you're doing, but there's also... More than enough room for people to come without any special knowledge and just grow into it.
0: Mm-hmm. So, right now, as as the CISO at Carlsberg, what is your one bleeding neck challenge?
1: That's an expression I I haven't heard before.
0: Yeah, <laughs> stole it from the one and only Louis Grenier, who is uh, another podcaster. In the world of marketing, yeah,
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna use that with credit. The one net challenge, I think uh, there's always there's always a lot of things, but I think it's the it's the too many moving parts and complexity. I don't think we're unusual in that sense, but Kalsberg is a company that grows typically inorganically, so we do a lot of acquisitions, and then you end up a few years after the fact with so so many variations in what you need to secure. that it's just. What do I do with this? And what the hell is this thing doing over there? And who the hell is managing that thing? And we're getting better for sure. We've done uh, several acquisitions recently that we got on board. We, we, I mean, security and IT, we got on board from day one. But it's still, the, the the cleanup going backwards is going to take years. And I think any big enterprise that goes through acquisitions will have the same pain with a few exceptions, you know, like the Microsoft and the Salesforce. That I think they have all the money in the world to make this a bit easier for them. Mm-hmm. But that's probably the number one challenge that we have among other things.
0: With all those challenges, what are you trying to achieve as a CISO?
1: To make it as least appealing as possible for the attacker. You know mm-hmm. the joke is that you always have to run only faster than the next guy when you're escaping a bear. And that's that's essentially what we're trying to do, right? To make it as difficult as possible to come into our environment. And when you are in the environment, to make it as difficult to progress within the environment and to throw all sort of things uh, from all over the place at you, you know, like decoys and endpoint protections and, and hygiene and stuff. And to get to get a to point when you just, you know, the attacker will, will put his hands up and say, you know what, it's just not worth it. I'm going to go attack the next beer company.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting angle. And a general goal that I've heard that is consistent throughout the series is to thwart the attacker, to make sure that we're protecting the organization and things aren't coming in. But to your point, you're saying they are already in, we have to make it as least attractive as possible for them to continue going around your yeah. environment and networks and all that yeah. fun stuff. So that's a very interesting angle because that, you know, again, it implies that you likely are already breached.
1: If, if I'm not already breached in a sense, and I am, of course, I'm not saying we are breached, but if not, then we will be breached at some point, right? It's not, you can't avoid it. And I think that's the normal paradigm today within the security industry, industry, at least with more mature organizations. You can't stop attackers. If the attacker is persistent enough and it's good enough, they'll go in. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do is just to make sure that even if they go in, then they won't get very far, at least not without putting so much effort that it becomes unappealing. The whole access becomes unappealing to them.
0: Take me back to the day when you first decided to evaluate a new product. Think about the lat. Let's think about the last one that you just purchased, right? Tell me what happened.
1: We are in a process at the moment to actually finalizing, uh, purchasing something very interesting. And that one specifically came from an old colleague of mine that's called me, he's a CISO in the U.S. And he just calls me one day and he says, look, you have to look at this solution. This is like almost like uh, black magic. They do something incredible and you need to talk with them. And I said, okay, let's talk with them. And we did. And we also kind of, uh, I mean, my uh, operations director looked at them and said, I want that thing and I want it now. Then we started doing the the testing. Essentially, when we buy something uh, technical solution, we make sure that we test it and we really run it through the hoops, right? I have uh, a team in uh, in Hong Kong. Then they tend to do the the new stuff. You know, these guys are are animals. They just they just throw every possible thing in that solution and they work twenty four seven and they try to kill it. And everyone came back with a thumbs up and said, "Yeah, we like the solution." And um, the next step was actually, uh, which we just did today, was to do uh, also a reference call, uh, because we also, we're always being sure that we want to get an independent view of the solution as well. And Sometimes we talk with, you know, the various analysts like Gartner or, or Forrester, but I always take that with a pinch of salt because you don't always know necessarily what was the evaluation criteria. So I Prefer to talk with with peers, you know, with other organizations to implement the same solution and get their view. And we actually had in the past not with this one, this specific, because this one actually came out very well from the reference. But we had references calls, uh, reference calls in the past, where we got a pretty good impression from what we were testing, and then the reference call said, "Yeah, it's good, but there are issues. It's not as shiny as they show it is. The surface is not perfect, and that always gives us a, you know, question mark because if the If the vendor actually chose a reference, because they always choose the good references, right? And the good reference actually said, it's okay, but then question marks start raising up.
0: Right. I want to go back a little bit further, though, before you actually tested and talked to the references and did all that fun stuff during the evaluation. Tell me a little bit about what led up to you saying, okay, okay. My peer is telling me that I have to take a look at this solution and my operations guy is saying, yeah, I, I want this. But what happened that you said, okay, yeah, well, let's consider it. Was there something in the company or in the business or on the team that kind of triggered you? Yeah.
1: I think it was almost like a perfect storm, this one, because um, we were looking... It's a solution that is uh, has to do with uh, the hygiene management of the estate that we're running. And from our perspective, hygiene is it's a very critical environment, which is very difficult to achieve. And when that guy contacted me and just said, you have to talk with them, it was uh, it was just we just looking for something like that. And I actually trust the guy's opinion very well, very much. And I told them, "I told them, okay, we'll take a look at that. And then when I spoke to them, it's like almost... They were looking at our work plan and Said, "Okay, we heard you're looking for us. Here it is." So this was really a case of uh, perfect storm that doesn't happen too often. Normally, uh, normally we don't do these kind of processes. Normally is that we sit down, we are we have long-term roadmap, and we say, "Okay, for this year we want to achieve A, B, C. What do we want? How do we want to achieve that one?" In this case, we can if it's a a, a massive project, we might go for an RFP on this one. Uh, we might go even with uh, a consultancy that specializes in this area and ask them to help us evaluate what it is we need and have a, like a, almost a mini roadmap before we go for the solution choice, and then we go for the selection criteria, the selection process. And the selection process is exactly that: is we tell them what we need, we get a response, we evaluate all the criteria, and of course the cost, and then we go for a, the POC. And the POC is normally where we really make the decision if that's something that works for us all, because this is the first time when you actually can really evaluate if uh, you're being bullshitted by the uh, by the vendor or they actually are telling the truth <laughs> and the reference calls I mentioned as well.
0: Mm-hmm. When you went to evaluate the solution, why didn't you do it sooner?
1: I didn't know they existed.
0: In general, though, you were evaluating other solutions or is that the first one that you Yeah, you there said? was
1: one of the solution we were evaluating at that point.
0: Well, well okay, so uh, so why why didn't you evaluate it sooner when you already understood the need?
1: No, we did. It Mm. was just a very long and complicated Mm. talk. So we were evaluating the other solution at that point for for quite a long time because it's quite a complex solution. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of having question marks about it. And then that thing just came out of nowhere and said, uh, okay, here it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is what you were looking for.
0: Mm -hmm. What changed though, before you evaluated all of the solution, what changed that you had to decide that now's the time to evaluate the solution within the business?
1: So as I mentioned, we we have a long-term roadmap. So we have uh, like a five-year roadmap that at the beginning when I joined Carlsberg about two and a half years ago, we were dealing more with what we consider to be fundamentals. Mm -hmm. Endpoint protection, incident response, SIM, SOC, things like that. And I think now we're going to the more... We're always trying to implement smart ways of doing things. So going away from the more traditional ways of doing stuff, right? If it was always do the vulnerability scanning and then start patching, and if you want to do the annual external vulnerability scan one time and then you fix it for the next year, we don't want to do these things anymore. We want to find quick ways to do this. We want to have visibility almost uh, instantaneously. And we want to have all the solutions we have talking with other solutions. So you have like a real complete ecosystem. So we got to the point where in that roadmap, when we said, okay, we got the fundamentals. Let's start talking about the more advanced stuff. And one of them was the hygiene management. And this is where uh, we started checking the, the first solution and kind of start dragging our feet in this case because it was quite a difficult pocket and we weren't really sure what we wanted to do at this point.
0: You talked about the evaluation process, the, the POC process. How many people are generally involved in the buying process? And who who specifically is on the buying committee for you from a um, title standpoint?
1: I think it depends on the context of the of the buying process, but typically I would have the head of the team that's responsible for that area. I think I heard one of your previous interviews saying that in, in most cases, the CISO doesn't actually make the buying decision. And, and, and it's quite true because in most cases, I don't actually make the decision because I don't want to, right? I have very talented people working in my team and in most cases, they understand it much more than I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in, in some cases, I do push uh, some points, but in most cases, they just make their own decisions. So it would be the head of the team that's running that specific area and his or her architects, it would be typically IT or IT operations representative because we need to evaluate the impact of what we're going to do, Mm -hmm. or it will be also our contract management. It will be our procurement people as well. So again, it really depends on how big and complex the the RFP is Mm -hmm. uh, or the process is. Mm -hmm.
0: So let's, uh, let's, again, let's take that last scenario as an example, and feel free to drop the name of the vendor if you'd like to give them a shout out. I know you probably can't, yeah. but we're going to try and... I can't, and I can't just
1: now, but I'll be happy to do that after yeah, we conclude. Yeah, I'd
0: love to, love to as a follow-up for sure. Take me through a little bit the timing of the last, you know, or the process. How long is that whole cycle and what is it like?
1: I think, I think. let me let me maybe take you to another one because that one's a bit unusual and mm-hmm. it's not a typical process. So maybe I'll take you through the the MDR process that we did, which was probably yeah. the most complex that we've done uh, about a year and a half ago. So in that case, essentially we had first uh, a third party helping us to even establish what it is we want to mm-hmm. do. How does an MDR look like? Um, and what does we want to achieve in the next few years in in that uh, in that area? And after that, we went for an RFP. We had quite a few companies participating. We had quite a difficult evaluation criteria. And, and for months, basically, we were reading documentations and going for presentations and such and to be honest even in the first stage it was quite easy to distinguish between the people that actually know their stuff Mm -hmm. and are not trying to sell you uh, loctions as Mm -hmm. uh, you say in Israel and what people are basically there because they just want to sell whatever it is that they can sell you right without necessarily understanding the needs of the organization. Mm After doing a very brutal shortlist on this one, we went then to do the uh, the whole reference case and the more detailed uh, design sessions. And in this case specifically, we didn't go for a POC because it's almost impossible to do a POC with uh, MDR without uh, installing a complete set of it or a limited set. And that will take months and months and months. And at this point, something interesting happened. One of the leading candidates actually pulled the rabbit and they said, you know what, I think you also need to include endpoint protection as part of the RFP. Because if you want us to really deal with your incidents, we need to have control of your endpoint protection. And that got us thinking, you so know what? Actually they're, quite, they're right, right? Because if we give the SOC, we do a like traditional SOC, but we don't give them any execution capability, it's just going to be tickets coming in service now until someone picks them up. And that may take a day or two, um, a couple of hours. And by the meantime, the entire company is getting encrypted and that actually caused us to actually increase the scope of the RFP mid uh, during the, the RFP itself and actually also ask the other competitors to do the same thing the end of it was that we actually decided on the leading candidate which was not a very well known company in the set in that uh, in that area and we had to convince quite a lot of people that this is the right choice for the company uh, because we had very big names competing against that specific company but we had a very good feeling about them and we managed to convince everyone and at that point, just before the signature, my uh, my CFO, who's the head of the security string committee, he said, okay, I'm going to trust your opinion, but I want the CIO to have a talk with their management. Mm-hmm. And then we did what my CIO refers to as the Liam Neeson call. Mm-hmm. She gives them a call and she tells them, look, we're going to take a chance on you. And if you mess it up, I'm going to find you and kill you. Ooh. Okay. She didn't say it in so many words, but the hint was quite clear. I could believe it. But uh Yeah. She's a she's quite a terrifying person when she wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, that project was a success from day one. So it, it, this is one case where everyone had really a very strong gut feeling about that specific vendor, and it is probably one of the best projects I have ever done in my career in terms of MDR. And so, who is that MDR? So uh, a good one. Um, I'll tell you off. Uh, off record. Off
0: record. All right. <laughs> Yeah, uh,
1: I'm not sure even they want to be published as uh, our suppliers, right? Because they don't publish their customers. Right, so I don't right. want to cause That's any issues to in them as well.
0: That's fair. It wouldn't be a good podcast if it didn't poke and prod a little bit. So how how many vendors are generally in the initial RFP and in the sh- and then in the
1: shortlist? It really depends on the area, right? Because in some areas, it's very, very specialized. And some of them, it's more generic. So in the MDR, it was a lot. It was about 10 companies. And actually, I, I swore that I'm never going to invite so many companies again. Mm. Because of the amount, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many hours I spent listening to people droning on and on about uh, about uh, socket sim and then sentinels and such. So it really depends on the sector. Like we did a, a PAM RFP last year, and I think we only had about four companies there, if so I'm not mistaken, because essentially that's what you have in that segment. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're trying not not to overdo it since that famous RFP. So nobody would invite four, maybe five max. Mm -hmm. Shortlist. normally we're going to have two companies, Mm -hmm. uh, unless there's someone that really impresses us. And, you know, we're not very strict on that one. So it might end up being three as well. But typically we end up with two companies in the running. What's
0: the average? Again, I want to go back to the MDR example. What was the average, you know, uh, amount of months before you said, okay, initial visibility, right? I I know you exist to we're going to start onboarding.
1: Uh, You mean from the start of the RFP until we actually started the project? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was about eight months, eight to nine months, Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Just the contract negotiation was quite a long one.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, 10 vendors within nine months to distill it, within nine months is quite a feat, I have to say. That's a we that's didn't sleep that yeah, much. Yeah, that's a lot. We didn't sleep much during that time. That's yeah. a
1: lot. I was basically, uh, when we were prepared to the steering committee, I was basically, we we're sitting for people on a conference uh, call with uh, all the details that we need to convey to our and basically, we're shouting at each other and throwing details back and forth and numbers and such. And, and uh, it was just uh, amazing. And then we had the funniest uh, moment when we did the steering committee. Um, the CFO didn't ask much questions. And then he did ask at some point what the payment terms are. hmm and we have really difficult payment terms, so we have like ninety-three days, and at that point, 93, the 93 manager, days, ninety-three days. Okay, yeah. but we compensate with beer yeah. if you ask us. Nice. <laughs> um, and at that point, the procurement uh, manager was quiet until point until that point. She goes like, like you know, the voice of God from above. Mm-hmm. We agreed on ninety-three days. <laughs> that was like a, a very very nice moment during that uh, meeting.
0: So you have quite a lot of hoops and hurdles to go through and over during the whole buying process that probably several who are listening actually aren't familiar with or aware of. I mean, you have a lot of convincing on your end to do and a lot of evaluation, reading, testing. It's on top of your job, essentially.
1: Yeah, I think... It, it really depends on on the on the context right on the on the type of technology we' are buying. but yeah the, the more expensive the more complex it is to buy, then the more hoops we have to go through because like every you know uh, big enterprise, there's a lot of uh, breaks uh, that you have to uh, uh, and, and balances checks and balances that you need to go mm-hmm. through uh, to get the proof. It's not as bad as other companies I used to work mm-hmm. for. Um, I used to work for a large Japanese company uh, for quite a long mm-hmm. time. And they were difficult over there you had committee on every single level It almost feels like you have to go for a committee when you want to say good morning to yeah. someone um so we're not that difficult and typically when the rfp uh group or the buying group makes a decision we need to get formal approval from depending on the on the cost but it's not very common that they challenge us on our decision so there's quite a lot of uh, trust in Carlsberg that the professionals know what they're doing
0: well in your opinion though what would help you speed up the process from the vendor side
1: I'm going to be very brutally honest and I'll say as little bullshit as possible mm-hmm. um, there's a tendency especially in RFPs uh, to give hundreds and hundreds of pages of text uh, for people to read and, and I think I, I don't know if the the people writing those RFPs and I can tell you I did those things in the past as well I don't think they realize they don't want reading them right So so we're going to read the, as little as possible to make a decision. You know, the technical diagrams, the real high level explanations, the few slides that can give us the message. No one's going to read a hundred pages. So we don't have the time. We don't have the capacity. No one can digest that. So as little of as, as focused information as possible, Mm -hmm. that will really help everyone to make a decision. And when you go with the presentations and that's something actually that probably got our famous MDR, the RFP, bring the people. That will actually deliver the project to present it. Mm. And the people that you know will stay with the client because it was clear for us from the get-go that the people giving the presentation are the ones that will actually carry out the project. And they were impressive. We had other companies, several consultancies, that brought 20 partners to the presentation. And you know, we're all we've been we've been around the industry for a while. It's clear to everyone that none a single one of them will stay once the project will start. Mm-hmm. So as little bullshit as possible and as focused message as possible. And if we ask you to give us a proposal, what you think we should do, don't give us an answer like, we'll do whatever it is you want us to do. Because we had some companies doing that. We'll do whatever it is that you want us to do. No, we called you. You're the expert. You tell us what you think we need to do. Give us a focused message and then we can make a decision. Right. So that will definitely help.
0: I love it. I want to dig in a little bit. And we're going to go back because I didn't. I, I love this question. I ask this regularly on the on the session. How do you go about separating the wheat from the chaff among vendors and solutions? There are just so many. Again, you, you know, you do, yeah. you do the RFP, you do the shortlist, but I, I want to uncover a little bit more color there.
1: It's not easy, right? As you say, there's a lot of players, and I think the cybersecurity industry has been booming the last few years. So um, there's more and more options out there. And if you just look at the endpoint protection market or segment where you only had you know semantic and mcafee for 20 years and now all of a sudden you have like 50 companies out there that you need to consider um there's, there's several ways that you do that first of all there is and it might sound funny but there is myself and the people hearing the pitches of the various companies we've heard so many pitches, we can already identify from the beginning if someone is trying to sell something that doesn't work right so if you're saying something that's too good to be true it's probably yes. And if we ask you a technical question and you come back and said, "Oh, that's a really good question. I'll ask my pre-sales guy," then no, you're not going to pass the first the first hurdle, right? Um, so it's it's that first first and foremost the gut feeling. It's, it, it sounds funny, right, that you make a choice based on that, but it is definitely a factor that we do. A lot of it is based on general knowledge in the industry on that solution. And I always feel I, I feel a bit sorry about uh, you know new vendors that. If they don't have the network or the people that know them, it's gonna be much more difficult for them to grow. Right. Um, but but it helps. Then I can ask around the industry with peers and with colleagues and say, have you heard about them? How they're working, Mm -hmm. how they're giving you any trouble. Is it do they actually give you real value? Mm -hmm. So that's something that definitely can help. And then you have the how well they can connect with your ecosystem. Because we've kind of moved in the last few years from having 50 different solutions then none of them are talking with each other. Then you end up, you know, with your uh, SOC or MDR. They have like 20 different dashboards on the table. And now most mature solutions or solutions that are built by serious people know how to talk with other solutions. So if I buy something, it needs to be able to talk with the rest of my environment. Not necessarily with everything, but at least with the kind of the, the cornerstones. With the SIM and we have a few preventative dashboards or preventative security dashboards. So... It needs to be able to talk with, communicate, and give me not just its own value, but also value to other systems to overall enrich the security ecosystem that I have.
0: On average, how many security solutions do you have within your systems that have to speak among? Yeah, they
1: have to speak with each other. I don't know. I think easily we have twenty around twenty different solutions, probably, probably more. Wow. Um. And I think my my architecture team—they probably hate me because I keep bringing new stuff all the time. So they probably hate me. <laughs> that sorry?
0: comes with the territory of of your job. Though, yeah. So I mean...
1: It does. It does. We feel lucky to be working in a company that actually allows us to do stuff in in an unusual way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we are using a lot of uh, new technology. We are using a lot of unusual uh, uh, tools to to make it a bit. More efficient and make it a bit more difficult for attackers to hit us.
0: But why are they unusual? What's unusual about those tools?
1: Well, not unusual. I would say new, right? New and innovative, and uh, doing just things a bit different than what we used to do in the last 20 years.
0: What is innovative and new to you?
1: I think one thing I really like in the in the kind of this new generation is, first of all, they make it as easy as possible to deploy mm-hmm. and to actually get real value from almost from day one from the solution. I have a relatively new cloud security solution that. We gave them an API key, 24 hours later, I have a dashboard that shows exactly every single problem I have in my cloud environment. 24 hours. And I'm just thinking in the past, I'm sorry?
0: 24 hours.
1: 24 hours, well, it was even less than that. And it, it, I'm just thinking in the past, right? When you had to deploy a new solution, it's months of change boards and plans and rollbacks and people losing access to this and that, and it was a nightmare. So the newer generation of solutions just, it, it in many cases it's done by people that felt the pain by themselves. And they know how not to do it, so they know how to do it in a way that makes it easier. So, so it's definitely that, and it's the reporting capabilities because it's it, they now a lot of the new vendor, new Earth vendors understand that the security organization is flooded by so much data that if you don't really flag exactly the five things you need to do this week, it's wasted. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to buy something that will give me a lot of data, but I can't actually understand what I need to do next.
0: This this conversation this part of the conversation takes me to this next question which is a perfect segue are there any other differences or anomalies right now in the market that vendors marketers and sellers can learn from to and take advantage of to stand out in your eyes
1: i think i would say reach out to your natural partners in terms of vendors it maybe sounds a bit counterintuitive because you're you're competing right against other vendors but if a bass solution can talk with my mdr and my cloud security solution and they can only enrich each other i think that that's a slam dunk right because that means that it I, i'm getting instant benefit not just from that solution but for anything else like the whole system grows mm-hmm. i think if more vendors do that then everyone will uh will um benefit from it and we which, we actually just did that right because we are now implementing a new bass solution and we told them can you actually talk with the cloud security people? And they said, yeah, sure. And then two weeks after, they both come back and said, okay, we're now talking with each other and then you'll get this and this and this from both sides.
0: Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Love it. I think that's a great insight right there. What right now, in your opinion, are some of the cardinal rules, vendors, marketers, sellers, what's above, below, in between, are breaking?
1: Oh, <laughs> Um, I think for me, the thing that always kills it for me is the is the cold calling. It's the cold emails or the out-of-blue emails and the repetitive, like, have you seen my email? Have you seen my email? Have you seen my email? Are you busy? Have you seen my email? Uh, and they're sending the very, very generic uh, information that doesn't fit or, or not not really trying to understand what it is it I'm trying to do and what do I actually need, but basically just trying to push without any context what what they're trying to do
0: why does cold calling not work
1: i well first of all i just don't have the time right i normally and this is unfortunate i i just spend most of my day in, in meetings right and if i have a, a like a number an unknown number calling me i almost never pick up because i don't have the time to have a conversation now with somebody that just wants to sell me something without any context in many cases they go like uh they, they, they have the most bizarre questions like they call me and say hi is this style i heard you are involved with the security of carlsberg so, yeah, okay you can call that i'm involved yes <laughs> what can i do for you uh i'm calling from company x and y and i want to uh talk with you about your cybersecurity strategy sure unknown number which i've never heard i'm going to talk to you about my cybersecurity strategy most of these calls end up like this and <laughs> um, I'm not going to discuss anything about my security with someone I don't know and I have no relationship with. Right. So it, it's very, it's very uncommon for me to actually do anything or even pick up a phone that I don't recognize.
0: Well, what about cold email though, where you can essentially kind of verify more or less? I mean, you can see who the person is on your own time.
1: Yeah. And and that one uh, works a little bit better, but I'm just saying a little bit better because in most cases it's the generic email. Mm-hmm. It's the, we're doing this and we want to present this. And then the the perfect one, do you have five minutes tomorrow at 2 a.m., at uh, 2 p.m.? And I say, if I had two five minutes at 2 p.m., I would go to the toilet, right? I don't have five minutes uh, tomorrow and I don't have five minutes in the next two weeks. It's not like I'm too important it's because I literally don't have the time. Yeah. And And then it's like, hi, I'm just bumping this email. Hi, have you seen my email? Hi, have you heard my email? No, I haven't seen it, right? Stop sending me emails. For me, if I get an email like that, it has to be something that catches my attention immediately, right? I'm going to stop you there. So it, I'm going to stop you there. Yeah.
0: I want you to think of a great email that you got. Did that Did that exist at all, first of all?
1: It did. It did exist, Do yeah. you
0: remember? Is it still in your inbox?
1: Uh, Probably somewhere oh, below so, the so, first. So, the so 20, then I, I couldn't emails, so. ask. <laughs> I
0: couldn't be presumptuous right now and ask. Let's kind of pull it up and see if we can anonymize it and read it out and hear what a good email looks like to you.
1: No, it's it's somewhere sold now. It's, it's gonna take me a while to find it. But I remember All right. I, I remember roughly what it was. Um Let's go. it was an email from a from a small company that basically said, Hi, we're from this and this company. We're just starting up, we're doing something very unusual around the uh, um security awareness. And we wanna have a conversation for you to see if there's anything that might interest you. And and the email was just First of all, it was just nice, right? It wasn't. It didn't feel like there's a like a, a sales drone behind it. It feels like people that are generally trying to find their way in the industry. And second thing, they actually came up with a really interesting idea. And I said, you know what? Let's have a conversation, even if we don't end up doing business. I wanna, I wanna hear about it and maybe even give you some feedback. And that just led to a really nice conversation. Nothing came out of it, but the conversation was nice, and I actually remembered the. I, I will probably remember them if I see them again.
0: I'm gonna play devil's advocate. If everybody starts leading with that, can we get some feedback? Can we get some feedback? Can we get some feedback? We'd love to have a conversation. Oh, we just want to throw the run this by you. That's gonna be the default, oh, it's another sales pitch. No? Yeah. <laughs> so so but, like I mean, how do we how do we mix it up a little bit to to get your attention?
1: I think if you give me context which is relevant to me. Mm-hmm to Carlsberg, that makes it easier, right? Rather than send me an email saying that, uh, hi, we're doing uh, we're doing this and this and this. Let's talk tomorrow. I said, look, I see that you are running this and this technology. I, th- I think you run this technology. I know that you have manufacturing facilities. We think we might be a- relevant for you. And if if it's okay, we'll be happy to have a conversation. And just let us know. Rather than, are you have do you have time tomorrow? Yeah. 2 p.m. right because again, just assume that the guy you are trying to talk with is just or the girl is just busy right. Yeah. I don't have the time to necessarily respond back to you immediately or at all. Mm-hmm. And the more more understanding you have of my business, and my needs, and maybe also my experience, right? Because if you come and you start giving me uh, explaining to me why endpoint protection is important, I'm gonna shut down the mm-hmm. call pretty quick. Right. So if you have all this context together. That might actually work, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not that I'm not looking for new parties. I'm looking for new partnerships all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for new people to work with all the time, but it's very difficult to find people that I can actually, out of the blue, right? Without any kind of past knowledge or by introduction, it's difficult to find people that I can actually almost respect from the first email. Mm -hmm.
0: That's fair. There's just so much shit out there, which takes us to, almost takes us to our next segment the shit list which is it's my favorite segment of the whole series before that though quickly how do we best understand and learn about your business not Carlsberg your business
1: when you when you say my business you mean uh, security for Carlsberg
0: yeah if i want to sell you a threat intelligence solution right How do I go about learning about your business so that I can frame the story and frame the solution for you as best as possible?
1: I think if you understand the two things, the crown jewels that I am trying to protect, which is not that difficult to, you know, assume what I'm trying to protect and on the other side, maybe the threat actors or the kind of the, what am I trying to protect against Mm -hmm. that will give you a lot, Mm -hmm. right? So then you can make the more focused proposals, the focused emails, or the focused uh, uh, pitches Mm -hmm. and not just give me a random email. Mm -hmm. So we think that you want to protect your factories from breaking down. And we think you are probably running against, I don't know, some sort of uh, ransomware threat actor. And this is what we think you might need. Let's talk about it. Okay,
0: there you go. Awesome. Okay, we're going to the fun part. This was all fun, but this is the this is the best part because it's the most brutally honest segment of the whole session. Don't hold back here. I won't. What's the one thing a vendor has done that has pissed you off? What's what's the worst thing that's happened that you've experienced?
1: I had a vendor that uh, that blamed me for fixing an RSP.
0: What did that sound like?
1: Um, it was actually a funny, retrospective was a funny story that we had and not in Carlsberg, but one of my previous companies, we had a big RFP for endpoint protection. The incumbent went to one uh, channel partner and said, can you represent us? And they said, sure. And then another endpoint protection vendor went to the same channel partner and said, can you represent us? And they said, sure. And then the third party did the same. They said, sure, why not? And when our legal department heard about this they said, no, 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 you're going to choose one, you're not going to represent free. So they chose one partner, which was not the encumbered. And the incumbent came to me and said, you're fixing the RFP, right? You decided to go for that other company. And then you're just doing the RFP for show and we're not going to participate in it, an incumbent supplier for 10 years. And I told them guys, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? We're not a public company. I'm not obligated to run an RFP. I'm running RFP because I want to make the, a good decision for the company. So I advise you to think this over and I said, no, we're out. And they went out, they lost the business of 18,000 users in that, uh, in that case.
0: That's weird. And
1: what happened as a result of that not only they lost the business, that, that got them a very big black spot in my book. And I said, because you are blaming me personally. You will never set foot again in any company i'm working uh, for and they try to actually not in cosmic what another company they try to uh create contact and uh, set foot in the business and i told them you remember that rfp you will never set foot in this company as long as i'm here
0: i i'm I, i'm i'm not floored i just i just don't understand <laughs> like yeah.
1: no, no one really understood what the hell happened there it was weird, really
0: strange okay that's weird. All right. Well, I mean, that just goes to show you do not impress. You're black booked forever. So,
1: yeah, I'm. I'm. I might be a bit more vindictive than other people, but it's really. Is it? I have a long memory, so I, I'm. I'm willing to take a lot of shit. Right. Right. But if you try to blame me personally for Maybe. something, uh, then that's it.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I have felt that. Yeah. Before, and the same the same thing has happened to me. I've had a similar experience not with a very expensive product, but with a service, and it did not feel good. And so that really sticks in my mind. Well, let's flip it on its head. What's one thing a vendor has done that has made you feel good or what worked for you in your years as a security professional?
1: Um, There's actually quite a lot of good vendors I work with, and I tend to kind of keep them with me from one company to another. Mm -hmm. I think the MDR is a good example, right? Because we, um, we told the right guys, we're taking a chance on you. We are going to trust you with the with probably one of the most uh, complex projects and most expensive services in the company, and you need you need to uh, make us proud. And they did. And they and they told us that they were actually said that they are so. Uh, I don't want to say humble; it's not the right word for this. But they're so excited by the fact that we're going to work together that they're going to do everything possible for this to actually succeed. And they did. Mm-hmm. And we just we just like we just love working with them, right? Every every meeting with them, we just keep saying that's it. We just love working with them.
0: What, what specifically is, you know, gives you joy or or what does a healthy and good relationship with the vendor look like?
1: They're honest. Mm. They're absolutely 100% honest with us. We never got the feeling that they're trying to sell us something for the sake of selling. If they can't do something, they will tell us, we're not doing that because this is not something which we can do and it will not bring you any benefit. So we never once got the feeling from them that they are trying to sell us for the sake of selling. Mm-hmm. If they are telling us something, then we trust their opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. So, it's just constant honesty and transparency throughout the whole journey before onboarding, yes. during, after, when you need support.
1: Yeah. And throughout the life cycle as well, because there's a tendency with some managed uh, services providers that, you know, at the beginning it's a honeymoon and the first year is beautiful and then things start going down the field. Uh, the more critical people leave the account or they leave the company and then no one's replacing them and then it's becoming more and more difficult. So, the constant, uh, the constant, um, good, honest relationship, the has to continue throughout the life cycle because if you get to year four of the contract and like, nothing is working, anymore, no one's going to remember the honeymoon first year. Right.
0: Right. I love this. This is so juicy. This is so juicy. It's a little bit different than what we've been doing in the, in the other episodes. We're going a little bit deeper and wider as well in some areas. But, um... This is awesome. I, we're heading towards the top of the hour. I do want to ask before we sign off, Tal, what is one thing that you want to impart on the audience today listening?
1: Don't try to sell us midnight oil. Mid- is that midnight oil is the term I think?
0: Could be. Snake
1: oil. Snake oil. Stake oil. Snake oil. Snake oil. It's not, uh, yeah, midnight oil is another expression. Yeah. Don't try to sell snake oil, right? We're smart people uh, behind uh, the computer. We know we are going to catch it. Right? We want to work with good people. We want to work with, with partners. If you be that partner, we'll be happy to work with you, right?
0: Right. Awesome. I love it. So, Tal, where can people find you?
1: Um, don't really LinkedIn. I guess uh, I'm not very active in Twitter. I tried that. Couldn't really, uh, couldn't really sustain it. So I'm I'm mostly reading, not really writing. So I used to have a blog as well. I don't really write that much anymore. Too, too many things to do. So.
0: Well, Tal, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.